For God so loved the world that he did the unthinkable. There was a night some 2,000 years ago that wasn't so good. It was the night that God decided to let go of what he loved the most so that those whom he loved could be loved by him. For God so loved the world that he didn't step in. Jesus, up there on the cross, dying and helpless. No last-minute miracle. No hero swooping in to save the day. No supernatural rescue attempts from above. All of the heavens were silent that night. The Father, the angels, all looked on helplessly as Jesus slowly endures the most painful death you can ever imagine. And the amazing thing is that he did it for one simple reason. For God so loved you. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, make it so. Make it so that I don't have to go through with this. And yet, not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. He said, why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? For God so loved you that he let it begin. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said it is so, Jesus replied. And then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered... Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, 
to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! And when Pilate saw that it was getting nowhere, but that instead there was an uproar that was starting, he took water, and he washed his hands in front of the crowd, and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. This is your responsibility. And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And the soldiers began to mock Jesus. And then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him and they stripped him and put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him and said, Hail! King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. It's really hard when you read that to realize that what he did, what he suffered, because of the things that I've done. I have to believe that Jesus questioned his decision to go to the cross as he was released to the Roman soldiers for their sick pleasure, to be beaten within an inch of his life, mocked and spit upon. One soldier puts a purple robe around his bleeding shoulders Another twists a crown of thorns and jams it into the skull of Jesus and says, Here, here's your king. Still another took a staff and hit Jesus in the head again and again, and after all of that, he was made to carry his own cross. Jesus was led away to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And there they lay his torn body across the wood of that cross. As Jesus hung on the cross in the middle, on both sides he was flanked by the worst of the worst. Two thieves who had received the death penalty for their crimes. But those two thieves represented the two different categories of humanity. Of sinners that we're all sinners. But there are some that get it and some that don't. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, For they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people just stood there watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, 
He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus and said, If you're the Christ, then save yourself and us too. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he looked and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, even today, you will be with me in paradise. As I understand it, it wasn't so much the pain as it was the difficulty that he had breathing. The cross, they say, is so deadly, not because you bleed to death, but because you slowly, over time, suffocate. Every breath was a chore as he had to muster the strength to wrap his fingers around the nails in his hands and push himself up with his nail-pierced feet so that he could lift up for each and every breath. The breath that we take for granted every day was slowly leaving his body. From the sixth hour until the ninth, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest of them said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, it is finished. And with that, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, he was the Son of God. The bottom line, the good news of Good Friday is this. That the entrance requirement to get into heaven is to be perfect. 
which none of us are. But that Jesus died on that cross some 2,000 years ago on that Good Friday so that we could receive forgiveness of sin. And the Bible tells us that no matter who we are, no matter what we have done, that when we come to God in repentance and ask for forgiveness, that as far as the east is from the west, he removes that sin from us so that on that day when we walk out of this world and into the next, we can stand before God perfect. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on a cross so that whosoever will believe in him will not die but have eternal life. This evening, the most important thing that we're going to do on this Good Friday is to remember that death through a time of communion. And on Good Friday, we do things differently in the sense that instead of having the communion passed, we walk to one of four stations on the main floor, and there's one in the mezzanine. And after... I pray, and as the music is playing, whenever you are ready, you can get up by yourself or with your family and walk to one of the four tables where there will be people there and partake of communion. And at each one of these tables, you will find a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And the Bible says that we are to take this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us that we take this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice so seriously and so reverently as, it's, as if we are taking in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've come prepared to give an offering this evening, there'll be a basket, there'll be a basket at each table and you can leave your offering in the basket. So as soon as I'm done praying, whenever you're ready, you can go to one of the four stations that are on each side of the auditorium and the one in the mezzanine, but let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful just to come together and remember what it is that you've done for us, how much you love us, the sacrifice of your son. So Father, into this evening, we lay our sin, our guilt, our shame, everything that we have done in our lives that we are so not proud of, and we lay it at the foot of the cross and ask you just to remove it from us so that we can stand in your presence perfect. And we are gathered together tonight to remember what your son did for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Jesus. 
And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, Jesus, said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come in and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And with that, they thought it was finished. But it was far from being over. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark as Jesus takes his last breath. A hush falls over all of heaven as Jesus cries out it is finished but is it? the disciples are questioning what's happened to their Jesus and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved but but they don't know It sure seems like all hope is lost, like death is won, like evil has overcome good, and Satan's just loving it. Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it ain't over. It's far from over. You see, it was just Friday. And that stone, it ain't staying put. Because by Sunday, God, He will respond. By Sunday, heaven, It will prevail. And by Sunday, Jesus will rise from the dead. It's not over. It's only just begun.